The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Mighty Gems, spotlighting everyday jewels with your host, Dee Lee. It is common for all of us to take things for granted, the familiar in our daily lives. For example, our home, our job, our health, our relationships with family and friends and pets. By paying attention and polishing your own life gems, you can add your light to life. And that creates a mighty gem. On today's program, you will learn how paying attention to the small things can make your life mighty. So polish the facets of the extraordinary jewels around you by joining your host, Dee Lee. Learn how being mighty is possible when you polish the extraordinary jewels in your life. Now, here is your host, Dee Lee. Welcome to our show, Mighty Gems, Spotlighting Everyday Jewels. My name is Dee Lee, and today I'm here with our guest host, Lynn Sherelle. What are the gems and jewels, really? They are stones and tend to have different value for each person. It depends on how each person relates to them individually as to the true value they have. As a little stone or pebble, they could be considered to be very uh, big value based upon the size. It could be a small stone, and they could be very small in physical size, but in a huge value in terms of different sense and basic effect. As we are spotlighting everyday jewels, we are taking a closer look at ordinary things in our daily living that are really magnificent when we stop and pay attention. As with jewels, the value is in the eye of the beholder. They sparkle and they can be a different attraction for everyone, but it tends to catch our attention. We are very inspired. As a happy person, you radiate happiness to the world. Visualize your light radiating throughout the world, passing from person to person until it encircles the the globe. This is um, a quote from Jonathan Lockwood Huey. Do you have feelings of awe when you look up at the sky? You see the vastness of space and observe the stars. Some are bright while others reflect their existence only with a faint outline. Ancient wisdom has documented the same experience through time. You are seeing the very same thing that our ancestors have seen over thousands of years. As you look at the starry night, you might feel small in relation to the cosmos. You might not feel important, or you might have significant potential as a part of this, as that you really do have a significant potential as part of this vastness. In reality, you are a microcosm of the universe, and you can make a real difference in our world. Your thoughts, your words, your conscious actions, they all add to universal unity. You are a mighty gem. How about that? Nice. (laughs) We've been talking along um, in the past sessions um, and taking 
a long, deep look within ourselves as we have been prospecting and taking a look at the mighty gems and jewels that we each are as individuals. As we grow and expand within, so we also affect our surrounding and others that we relate to. Here's a poem I wrote along the ideas of sharing our individual love and light as it relates to universal spirit and oneness. Knowing one. Seek a way to learn, to know yourself deeply, searching, 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 ultimately blending into one. Courteous spirits dancing to silent musical notes and inner peaceful harmony, ultimately blending into one. A daily connection with the divine, knowing the inside extension of uplifting love and light, ultimately blending into one. Observe a steady daily beat. Breathe in your direct heart connect. Explore all there is to see, ultimately blending into one. A simpler path along the way. Trust your inner knowing, ultimately blending into one. Become a powerful enlightened spirit, unlimited energy sharing of divinity. Go forth with your one love and light, ultimately blending into one. Well, and that's really what it's all about, isn't it? You know, um, um, I it, for me, that's what that that describes life. That because that's what we're doing. We're we're all walking each other home. I think Wayne Dyer said that. Mm-hmm. We're all just going back to source. Ro- Rosalind Breer, who wrote Wheels of Light, um, it's an amazing book on the chakra system. She says, as we explore the aura and the chakras, it's important for us to review to view our journey not as revolutionary, but rather as very traditional. Chakras, as well as auras and electromagnetic fields, are as old as the Earth itself. The chakra system, in fact, is a part of the ancient and lost mysteries. And in the end, the chakra system in our bodies is how we find our way back to the most ancient mystery of all, God, the oneness, the omniscient. And that's really what it's about. I, you just, you know, in all the great, uh, the histories, the philosophies, it's really kind of describing that same experience. So... Um, the word universal, um, because we like to explore words here, the word universal comes from the mid-1300 Middle English and Old French. It's been applied to something throughout the universe in many ways and usually thought of as an entity that can be in many places at the same time. And it relates to belonging to the whole, entire and all together. Now, the word unity also comes from Middle English and Old French from the mid-1200s, so it's a little bit older. It's the state of being one where all the parts are combined into one. In literature and art, it is the relationship of the parts to the whole work constituting a harmonious whole and a single general effect. So in our search here at Mighty Gems, to understand more of who we are, we've been exploring the basic human energy system called the chakra system. And to uh, hear any of the previous shows, you'll hear about the chakra system. And really, they're just um, divided into three sections. The first three sections are basically um, from your belly button down, or just above your belly button down, and that's uh, that really has to do with your physical needs and the basic needs of life and how you orient in time and space. So that's the first, second, and third chakras. And then the fourth chakra, people commonly know that, is around the heart. 
And then the upper chakras are the fifth, sixth, and seventh. And those are, the seventh is the crown chakra. Well, there's other chakras that go beyond that. The eighth chakra is really your aura or the, um, the electromagnetic field around the body. The ninth chakra is the sum of all the skills you've learned in all of your lifetimes. And these are different types of skills that you bring forward into this lifetime. The tenth chakra is about, um, People excel at everything they do, and the skills and the knowledge and the wisdom flow through time and space, and they're integrated into their present life. So they experience divine creativity and harmony in every facet of their life. So as they're merging their past lives, the male and female energies are merged, and this brings more harmony together in their current life, in their current experience. And then the 11th chakra is really the center of awareness and looking at the pathway to the soul. It's the ability to acquire advanced spiritual skills, and we can find divine essence and where we can find our being that exists. It can, and this is information that people really just don't talk about. The 11th chakra is a little bit like being exposed to a spiritual library with the total contents available to operate as a human with divine knowledge. And, and it's about making choices and how to organize what you're experiencing. It's just it's, it's a way to put it all together. And then the 12th chakra, which has even less information known about it, which is what we're talking about uh, today, that's known as the chakra of universal consciousness. It allows you to transcend the mundane world, to reach enlightenment, and to commune with the divine. So the 12th chakra is really the source of an individual strength and power and the ability to create change, not only in the physical dimension, but the non-physical dimensions as well. So your awareness is slowly being moved away from your center, your own self, and it's being moved outward to encompass the larger framework of other people and realities and divinity itself. And in this way, you become more than you were before, and you're more perfect as well. As you stop focusing on yourself and begin to focus on these larger energies, you move out of your small world and step into a new universe where almost anything is possible. And from a reality-creating standpoint, this movement and possibilities is very, very powerful. Yeah, Chief Seattle is attributed to saying all things share the same breath. The beast, the tree, the man, the woman, the air shares its spirit with all of you know, life it supports. Most of humanity are viewing the world from the lower chakra triangle energies, which is also referred to as the lower mind. It is important to balance these with our higher spiritual elements made up of the heart, you know, seat of the soul, love, and compassion, throat, you know, which is truthful authenticity and expressions of love, clear seeing, seeing from a higher perspective, the crown, universal consciousness, illumination, and wisdom. As humanity has been gathering information for quite a while on these various elements of the lower chakra system, there is a general consensus of how the system works. This is really not the same situation with the details related to the higher elements of the chakra system as this is still under discovery. The information has been shared from a variety of channeled sources and healers. As we become more conscious of the related aspects of our higher vibrational levels within the upper extended part of the chakra system, it's kind of called the uh, upper spiritual system, we can learn more about ourselves and how we can relate better with our own environments. The twelfth chakra is our inherited link with the prime creator and the grand porthole network of the universe energy system of wholeness, that's whole with 
W, <laughs> not holiness. It, it's also holiness and wholeness. And it is the aggregate of all dimensions and realities. This chakra allows us to stretch beyond our common sphere of understanding into universal unity with all that is. It is said that it's the chakra of mastery of the soul's purpose through our own human existence. When this, the twelfth chakra begins opening, it is said that control over the natural elements can be developed air, water, fire, earth. It is considered the doorway to the cosmos and beyond and is part of the advanced spiritual chakra system. You know what? Can I say, did you see Airbender, the movie? No. Was that good? Oh, I loved it. It's one of my favorite movies. and It's based off a cartoon, but I just thought it was great. And it's about this small child that learns how to bend air. I mean, he learns how to control natural elements. Amazing. An amazing movie. I'll have to I love it out. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I it's, recommend it. It's interesting how we pick up different information from movies and cartoons because some of that's the expanded clarity <laughs> out mm -hmm. there trying to be humorous. You know, it's, yeah. it's really trying to catch our attention in a different way. From a word and an attitude choice, it's important to express your mindset to yourself and others, if appropriate, in daily reflections. If we look around ourselves, we can genuinely we can be genuinely inspired from nature and have a spirit of presence, compassion, justice, and delight. There are melodies of a lot of different traditions as we put this into personal practice. As, a, as we ponder the words of universal and unity, it is clear that they relate to our entire beingness here as our individual selves, as well as our extended and external connections within our environment and the expansions from there. From a visual metaphor, we can visualize ourselves being like a nugget of light as a mighty gem. And as we move around our immediate surroundings, we affect our individual worlds as we connect and expand ourselves. Buddha said, thousands of candles can be lit from a single candle and the life of the candle will not be shortened. Happiness never de decreases by being shared. We have been quite focused in our last shows um, on our individual selves and as we have been learning the importance of how our own energy system works. You, can, you're, you are actually in control of yourself and as you grow to more conscious uh, awareness, practicing daily mindful ways to be more aware of each present moment really is the only reality you have. It is interesting to think of our individual existence we are living each day. What we choose to think about, relate to, and connect to. It's really the, uh, with the explosion of all of the technical advances and choices we have, it is possible we think we have to follow the demands to be everywhere, to be everything and connected to everybody 24-7. As we step forward with this intention, we can get swept up into chaotic demanding flow. In reality, you really feel your personal energies have been drained by the end of the day whatever that is for you. So you sit on the couch, zone out in a numbed state and likely just fall asleep on the spot wherever you land. You, can, you are becoming more aware of how you are really a mighty gem and, that, and whatever that means to you as well as you relate to your connected environment. You will likely become more mindful of how you show up to yourself and as you look in the mirror and also how you are reflecting your light into the world around you. 
with this awareness becomes um, some responsibility effect too in trying to be always on on the button on button 24 7 everywhere except in the now moment you're basically sacrificing yourself potentially your health your own well-being you're missing out on the ability to think clearly possibly I mean some people can think really in speedy terms but are they really thinking and pondering what they're doing or are they just on autopilot and it's likely that it's um, someone that's not enjoying the beauty in the world that's just there. You know, researchers such as Charles Francis, co-founder and director of Mindfulness Meditation Institute in Raleigh, North Carolina, has um, advocated the importance of daily practicing of mindfulness. When you start out your day this way, it will give you a positive platform and a higher sense of viewing your daily connections. They'll be considered whether they're good, bad, or nuggly. It encourages you to have your basic senses awake so you can hear the sound of a bird song, smelling the aroma of coffee brewing if you're a coffee addict. Living in Seattle, that's kind of a prerequisite. <laughs> um, feeling joy when you have a sense of inner peace and calm. And that allows you to have insight to come together in your mind with you know, aha moments, which can be quite profound. We each have the ability, so how can we actualize this mindfulness practice in our busy lives? It starts with acknowledging that you are who you are and accepting where you are and realizing it will take some skill development to learn how to find the best time in the normal flow of your day. And it's really different for each of us. So from a sustainability, it's really um, it's possible to, to have happen. It just requires more of a getting into a daily habit. And as you move around in your daily existence, you can, you can do this as you go. So breathing is part of the normal breath process that you do anyway. So breathing in a, in, a, in a way that you can feel it and sense it. You can sense it, a deep calm within yourself and you can be conscious of your surroundings and the interactions. When you employ your senses, these are like your guidance systems, you have you know, quite a few uh, opportunities to really get to know things that you might not have known before. This has a huge calming effect as it forces your mind to slow down to match the slowing down of your physical movements. So it's, I don't know. It, I'm a speedy thinker. I'm, a, I know I'm one of those fast thinkers. Like things like pop, 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 pop. But then I also have this amazing capacity where it's like everything gets quiet. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, but living the course of my normal day, I can't say that that's necessarily the case because I'm so focused on whatever it is I'm trying to create, whatever that project is or the work I'm into or where my head's at. So it makes it an interesting, I try to stop and meditate every day, every day, but I really want to bring that into mindfulness in every moment, even if I am thinking fast. So this is inspiring. It's very, um, I find my moments in the morning the the best, you know, Mm -hmm. because my mind is clear. Like 4 a.m. For me, um, for between four and seven is the best. Mine's anywhere from two to six in the morning, two to three. Um, so it, it varies based upon what it is, you know, the activity has been. And there are times where I sleep in until four. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how decadent. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a possibility. <laughs> so we kind of operate in our different time zones and expectations of what we can accomplish so it's um and in that sense we're going to actually pause and take a 
a calm moment to um, have a commercial, and we will be back shortly. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Are you interested in actualizing your potential to be, do, and have more? If yes, then consider this your invitation. Intellike dates back to Aristotle, who used the word to describe the potential of a thing becoming itself. For example, a kitten has the intellike to become a cat. So what is human intellike? It's about discovering your destiny to live your freedom. Discover who you really are through one of the programs at www.humanintellike.com. Be who you are here to be. And remember, your life is a powerful expression of potential. Whether you activate that for its highest good or not is your choice. www.humanintellike.com. That's human, E-N-T-E-L-E-C-H-Y.com. It's time to access your magic. Tune in each week to Living in the Magic of Possibilities with your host, Glenice Hughes. Our topics cover finances, personal health, business, relationships, mediumship, and so much more. If you want to access all that is possible in your life, listen to Glenice and her expert guests who've turned the impossible into the possible. Living in the Magic of Possibilities is heard live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. You are listening to Mighty Gems, spotlighting everyday jewels with Dee Lee. To reach the program today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's one 346 9141. You may also send us an email to jewels at mightygems.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back to Mighty Gems, where we are exploring the sparkling gem of universal unity. And one of my favorite um, monks, I guess if you can have a favorite monk, is Thich Nhat Hanh, who said, We are here to awaken from the illusion of our separateness. And that is really the key to everything. It's really, we are here because we are one. So being mindful of your new responsibilities and the power of the important interconnected aspects of yourself and your world around you, once you know that, it's really vital that you include nature in that that mix. All of nature's participants and environment is ever-present and it's waiting with unconditional love. So when you're beginning a daily habit of mindful awareness, you'll become more spiritually aware of each of these um, elements and how abundantly the gifts are freely and openly shared when you are open to perceiving and seeing and seeing and feeling them. And as you become aware, you will also likely become aware of the responsibility to respect and care for aspects of the world that that just is, you know, the world that is and that has been taken for granted. So with great responsibility, no, wait, what's it? With great power comes great responsibility. Yeah. So as, oh. yeah, right? 
So as a mighty gem, you are awakening to the world both inside yourself as well as around you. And the new reality and responsibilities that come along with awakening also requires a new approach to your attitude and daily practices as you grow by carefully choosing how you use your expanding consciousness. The vital key really is to begin your day having a positive and spiritual purpose in mind as you plan out how you want to spend your time, how do you want your schedule to flow, what are you going to be doing, where are you going to put your attention. When you're showing the love and the joy from within without any demands or expectations of what that's supposed to mean or to bring you, that's really about stepping into the flow of life. And as humans, we tend to choose and then possibly not remember to actively participate in our choice. <laughs> As we get caught up in what we're doing in the process, the activities, everything is around that choice. We just forget about actually being present. So it's important to stay connected and pay attention to how the choices are working out or not working and then acknowledge that you might need to modify something if what you were expecting isn't happening because whatever's happening is always right. So Abraham Hicks suggested, when you become so determined that you want to feel good, you have become as your inner being is in such a pure place of positive energy, then that which is negative energy simply cannot mix with you. It defies law. If you are very strong and clear about your positive wanting and feeling it, then bad things simply cannot get in. Colds cannot get in. Car accidents cannot get in. And anything that you are not wanting cannot be your personal experience. And there have been many people who have made a lot of contributions for wisdom that they've reached in their lifetimes and then shared either individually or in a compilation of focused wisdom of thought from many different people. And Ralph Waldo Emerson is one of those people. And I have a special relationship with him. I do have a crush on him. I must be transparent. <laughs> but he said, uh, as, as he compiled a lot of his work, he put together journals and sermons and lectures. And, um, and in, 19, in 1844, he published Nature, an essay, and Lectures on the Times was published in London. So nature, this has been published in multiple collections of Emerson's writings. And with um, all of this, these wisdom insights and poetry, he has emphasized the unity of all manifestations of nature and how at his time in history, in the mid-19th century, there was so much emphasis on just accepting the knowledge and traditions from the past rather than actually... Um, experiencing nature directly in our present. So there was an article in Cliff Notes with a, an emphasis on Thoreau and Emerson and transcendentalism, um, and it provides so much information to us. It's, it's one example of Emerson's internal awareness and his connected understandings of how humans relate with universal unity. So was he like way before his time? I would say yes. Um, but it, a part of his thesis is, uh, it's fascinating to hear it in um, contemporary context. So Emerson wrote this out. What, so I'm going to share with you what he wrote directly from an analysis of that. The human 
being's relationship with universal unity. So he said, Ralph Waldo Emerson said, he asserts that all our questions about the order of the universe, about the relationships between God, man, and nature may be answered by our experience of life and by the world around us. Each individual is a manifestation of creation and as such holds the key to unlocking the mysteries of the universe. Nature, too, is both an expression of the divine and a means of understanding it. The goal of science is to provide a theory of nature, but man has not yet attained a truth broad enough to comprehend all of nature's forms and phenomena. Emerson identifies nature and spirit as the components of the universe. He defines nature as the not me, as everything separate from the inner individual. So nature, art, other men, our own bodies. In common usage, nature then refers to the material world unchanged by man. Art is nature in combination with the will of man. Emerson explains he will use the word nature in both its common and its philosophical meanings in the essay. And so at the beginning of chapter one, Emerson describes true solitude as going out into nature and leaving beyond behind all preoccupying activities as well as society and i am a big fan of this when you go into nature you're doing a big old etox you're just mm -hmm. getting away from all the electrical energy and the people and the hustle and bustle and everything and and to do this that is true solitude according to emerson so when a man gazes at the stars he becomes aware of his own separateness from the material world the stars were made made to allow him to perceive the perpetual presence of the sublime. Visible every night, they demonstrate that God is ever-present. They never lose the power to move us. We retain our original sense of wonder even when viewing familiar aspects of nature anew. So Emerson discusses the poetical approach to nature, the perception of the encompassing whole made up of many individual components. Our delight in the landscape, which is made up of many different forms, provides an example of this integrated vision. Now, unlike children, most adults have lost the ability to see the world in this way. In order to experience awe in the presence of nature, we need to approach it with a balance between our inner and outer senses. Nature so approached is a part of man, and even when bleak and stormy, it's capable of elevating man's mood. All aspects of nature correspond to some state of mind. Nature offers perpetual youth and joy and counteracts whatever misfortune falls on an individual. The visionary man may lose himself in nature, may become a receptive, quote-unquote, transparent eyeball through which the universal being transmutes itself into his consciousness and makes him sense his oneness with God. So in nature, which is also a part of God, man finds qualities parallel to his own. There is a special relationship, a sympathy between man and nature. But by itself, nature does not provide the pleasure that comes of perceiving this relationship. Such satisfaction, that kind of satisfaction, is a product of a particular harmony between man's inner processes and the outer world. The way we react to nature depends upon our state of mind in approaching it. Oh, that's so profound. So profound. So profound. That, and that's why. That's why, you know, Ralphie and I, we're, we're on a first name basis. <laughs> well, you're profound. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> hey, Emerson's insights continue in the next four chapters, uh, Commodity, Beauty, Language, and Discipline. 
Emerson discusses the ways in which man employs nature ultimately to achieve insight into the workings of the universe. In Chapter 2, Commodity, he treats the most basic uses of nature for heat, food, water, shelter, and transportation. These are pretty foundational. Although he ranks these as low uses and states that they are the only applications that most men have for nature, they are perfect and appropriate in their own way. Moreover, it's harnessing nature through the practical arts, thereby enhancing its usefulness through his own wit. Emerson quickly finishes with nature as a commodity, stating that a man is fed, not that he may be fed, but that he may work, and turns to higher uses. In Chapter 3, Beauty, Emerson ex examines nature's satisfaction of a nobler human requirement, the desire for beauty. The perception of nature's beauty lies partly in the structure of the eye itself and in the laws of light. The two together offer a unified vision of many separate objects as a pleasing whole. And that's whole being W. A well-colored and shaded globe, a landscape, round and symmetrical. Every object in nature has its own beauty, which is magnified when perspective allows comprehension of vision of the whole. Emerson presents three properties of natural beauty. First, nature restores and gives simple pleasure to a man or woman. It reinvigorates the overworked and imparts a sense of well-being and a communion with the universe. Nature pleases even in its harsher moments. The same landscape viewed in different weather and seasons is seen as if for the first time. But we cannot capture natural beauty if we too actively and consciously seek it. We must re rather submit ourselves to it, allowing it to react to us spontaneously as we go about our lives. Yeah, we really just need to surrender to it and to be in the moment and to really just acknowledge it. Mm -hmm. Just be with it, right? We can't actually like, you know, if we're, if we're chasing it, it's going to hide. Like, you know, if we're just part of it, then it can show itself. It's around, it's in all elements. It works together with the spiritual element to enhance the nobility of virtuous and heroic human actions. There is a particular affinity between the processes of nature and the capabilities of man. Nature provides a suitable, large, and impressive background against which man's higher actions are dramatically outlined. Thirdly, Emerson points out the capacity of natural beauty to stimulate the human intellect, which uses nature to grasp the divine order of the universe. Because action follows upon reflection, nature's beauty is visualized in the mind and expressed through creative action. The love of beauty constitutes taste, its creative expression, art. A work of art, the result of expression of nature in miniature, demonstrates man's particular powers. Man comprehends wholeness, and again this is with the W, and the multiplicity of natural forms and conveys these forms in their totality. The poet, painter, sculptor, musician, and architect are all inspired by natural beauty and offer a unified vision of their work. Art thus represents nature as distilled by man. Unlike the uses of nature described in commodity, the role of nature is satisfying man's desire for beauty is an end in itself. Beauty, like truth and goodness, is an expression of God. But natural beauty is an ultimate 
only in as much as it works as a catalyst upon the inner process of man. In chapter 4, Language, Emerson explores nature's service to man as a vehicle for thought. His first, he, he first states that words represent particular facts in nature, which exist in part to give us language to express ourselves. He suggests that all words, and even those conveying intellectual and moral meaning, can be uh, traced back to roots originally attached to material objects of their qualities. Although this theory might not be supported by the modern study of linguistics, Emerson was not alone among his contemporaries in subscribing to it. Over time, we have lost a sense of the particular connection of the first language to the natural world. But children and primitive people retain it to some extent. Not only are the words symbolic, Emerson continues, but the natural objects that they represent are symbolic of particular spiritual states. Human intellectual processes are of necessity expressed through language, which in its primal form was integrated and connected to nature. Emerson asserts that there is universal understanding of the relationship between natural imagery and human thought. An all-encompassing universal soul underlies individual life. Reason, which is related to intuitive understanding, affords access to the universal soul through the natural symbols of spirit provided by language. In language, God is, in a very real sense, accessible to all men in his unique capacity to perceive the connectedness of everything in the universe. Man enjoys a central position. Man cannot you know, be with, with understanding without considering nature, nor nature without man. In its origin, language was pure poetry and clearly conveyed the relationship between material symbol and spiritual meaning. Emerson states that the same symbols form the, the original segments and the relationship of the speech, reminding of a, a first dependence of language upon nature. Modern man's ability to express, and modern this would be, have been in the 19th century, his express ability to himself effectively requires simplicity, love of truth, and desire to communicate efficiently. But, but because we have lost the sense of its origins, language has been corrupted. The man who speaks with passion or in images, like the poet or the orator who maintains a vital connection with nature, expresses the workings of God. Finally, Emerson develops the idea that the whole of nature, not just its particular verbal expressions, symbolizes spiritual reality and offers insight into the universal. He writes of all nature as a metaphor for the human mind and asserts that there is a one-on-one -on -one correspondence between moral and material laws. All men have access to understanding this correspondence and consequently to comprehending the laws of the universe. Emerson employs the, the image of the circle, much used in nature, in stating that the visible world is the circumference of the visible invisible world. Visible nature is innately possessing a moral and spiritual aspect. Man may grasp the underlying meaning of the physical world by living harmoniously with nature and by loving truth and virtue. Emerson concludes language by stating that we understand the full meaning of nature by degree. 
And I think with that point, we're going to take a break. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Are you interested in actualizing your potential to be, do, and have more? If yes, then consider this your invitation. Intellike dates back to Aristotle, who used the word to describe the potential of a thing becoming itself. For example, a kitten has the intellike to become a cat. So what is human intellike? It's about discovering your destiny to live your freedom. Discover who you really are through one of the programs at www.humanintellike.com. Be who you are here to be. And remember, your life is a powerful expression of potential. Whether you activate that for its highest good or not is your choice. www.humanintellike.com. That's human, E-N-T-E-L-E-C-H-Y.com. Are you living your dream yet? If not, then why not? Everyone has a greatness inside of them to achieve what they deserve in their lives. But how do you find the motivation to get started? Tune in to Your Authentic Life with host Susan Cranston. Susan's advice, along with expert guests, will help you improve your relationships, start or change your career, and achieve the seemingly unattainable goal. Listen live every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We're on Facebook, along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to Mighty Gems, spotlighting everyday jewels with D. Lee. To reach the program today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's one 346 9141 You may also send us an email to jewels at mightygems.com. Now, back to this week's show. So, welcome back to Mighty Gems. Today, we're focusing on the gem of universal unity, which is a really refined spiritual concept. And it's about a higher level of consciousness. And most people don't really talk about this kind of stuff, which makes it really interesting. Uh, and, and so we're pulling information from the past and from the masters who've gone before us. Um, one such person is Brian Tracy. He's a contemporary teacher of awareness. And he says, learn something new, try something different, convince yourself that you have no limits and that is the truth the, the limits that you experience are the ones that you set up for yourself or that you believe are true in your own mind and then we've, we've also been talking about Ralph Waldo Emerson and he wrote in his treatise on nature that nature as a discipline or a means of arriving at comprehension forms the subject of his chapter five in his treatise. And what he says is all of nature serves to educate man through both the rational, logical understanding and the intuitive or mystical reason. Through the more rational understanding, we humans constantly learn lessons about the similarities and differences between objects, about reality and unreality, about order, arrangement, progression, combination. The ultimate result of such lessons is common sense. So Emerson, <laughs> that's so really, simple. you know, yeah, yeah. So Emerson offers property and debt 
as materially based examples that teach necessary lessons through the understanding and space and time as demonstrations of particularity and individuality through which we may know that things are not huddled and lumped but sundered, put asunder, and individual. Each object has its own particular use, and through the understanding, we know that it cannot be converted to other uses to which it is not fitted. So, something cannot be used or converted into something for which it's just not, you just can't get blood from a turnip. That's an example, right? Mm -hmm. So, the wise man recognizes the innate properties of objects and of men, and the differences, the gradations, the degrees, the similarities among the natural expressions. The practical arts and sciences make use of this wisdom. But as man progressively grasps the basic physical laws, he comes closer to understanding the laws of creation. And limiting concepts like time and space lose their significance in his vision of the larger picture. Emerson emphasizes the place of human will, the expression of human power in harnessing nature. Nature is made to serve man. We take what is useful from it, informing a sense of the universe, giving greater or lesser weight to particular aspects to suit our own purposes, even framing nature according to our own image of it. And Emerson goes on to discuss how intuitive reason provides insight into the ethical and, and spiritual meanings behind nature. He proclaimed, all things are moral, and therefore every aspect of nature conveys the laws of right and wrong. As a result, nature forms the proper basis for religion and ethics. And even more, the uses of particular facets of nature, as described in his chapter on commodity, the uses of the particular facets of nature do not exhaust the lessons that these aspects can teach us. Men may progress to perception of their higher meaning as well. Emerson depicts moral law as lying at the center of the circle of nature and radiating to the circumference. He asserts that man is particularly susceptible to the moral meaning in nature and returns to the unity of all of nature's particulars, meaning each object is a microcosm of the universe, as above, so below. That was um, her Heraclitus, uh, uh, oh, I can't remember, Trimestus Haglusis, whatever, he was a Greek <laughs> philosopher, but I've quoted him many times that I can't, Hermes, Hermes Trigustus, anyway, as above, so below. So what Emerson said is through analogies and resemblances between various expressions of nature, we humans perceive its source in universal spirit. And we apprehend universal order through thought. So through our grasp of the relationship between particular universal truths, which are related to all other universal truths. And so Emerson builds on this circle imagery to suggest that the all-encompassing quality of universal truth and the way it may be approached through all of its particulars. So again, we can know the macro by knowing the micro. Unity is even more clear in action than in thought which is expressed only imperfectly through language. So when we think it, the only way we can express it is through language, and it's a little bit imperfect. But action, on the other hand, is the perfection and publication of thought. And it expresses thought 
more directly because words and conscious actions are uniquely human attributes. Emerson holds humanity up as the pinnacle of nature, incomparably the richest, trans the richest informations of the power and order that lie at the heart of things. Each human example is a point of access into the universal spirit, meaning you who are listening right now, you are a point of access into the universal spirit. And as an expression of nature, humanity has its educational use in the progression toward understanding higher truth. So part of why we are here is to progress toward understanding this higher truth. And in the beginning of um, this uh, chapter six in this treatise, uh, it's called Idealism. Emerson questions whether nature actually exists, where, whether God may have created it only as a perception of the human mind. Having stated that the response to this question makes no difference in the usefulness of nature as an aid to human comprehension of the universal, Emerson concludes that the answer is ultimately unknowable. So he asks this question that really we can't even know. Whether real or not, he perceives nature as an ideal. Even if nature is not real, natural and universal laws apply in any case. However, the common man's faith in the permanence of natural laws is threatened by any hint that nature may not be real. So the senses and rational understanding contribute to the instinctive human tendency to regard nature as a reality. Men tend to view things as ultimates, not to look for a higher reality beyond them. But intuitive reason works against the unquestioned acceptance of concrete reality as the ultimate reality. Intuition counteracts sensory knowledge, and it highlights our intellectual and spiritual separateness from nature. So as the intuition is increasingly awakened, we will begin to perceive nature differently, to see the whole, the causes, and the spirits instead of individual forms. Emerson explores idealism at length, and he first points out that a change in perspective is caused by changes in environment or mechanical alterations, like viewing a familiar landscape from a moving rail uh, uh, train. It, it heightens the sense of their difference between man and nature, the observer and the observed. Altered perspective imparts a feeling that there is something constant within man, even though the world around him changes, sometimes due to his own action upon it. Emerson then discusses the way in which the poet communicates his own power over nature. The poet sees nature as fluid and malleable, as raw material to shape to his own expressive purposes. Inspired by intuition and imagination, he enhances and reduces facets of nature according to his creative dictates. He provides an ideal interpretation of nature that is more real than concrete nature because it exists independent of human agency. So the poet, in short, asserts the dominance of the soul over matter. Emerson looks to philosophy, science, religion, and ethics for support of the subordination of matter to spirit. He does not uniformly approve of the position assigned to nature by each of these disciplines, but in any case finds that they all express an idealistic approach to one degree or another. And he points out that although the poet aims toward beauty and the philosopher toward truth, both subject the order and relations within nature to human thought in order to find higher absolutes, laws, and spiritual realities. Scientists, too, may elevate the spiritual over the material in going beyond the accumulation of particulars to a single encompassing enlightening formula. And although they distrust nature, traditional religion and ethics also promote the spiritual and moral over the physical. So in idealism, Emerson takes up the capacity of all men to grasp the ideal and universal.
Intellectual inquiry casts doubt upon the independent existence of matter and focuses upon the absolute and ideal as a higher reality. It encourages approaching nature as an appendix to the soul and as a means of access to God. Although these complex ideas are expressed by specialists in quote-unquote intellectual science, they are of, in, in any case, no matter what, they are still available to us all. And when any man reaches some understanding of divinity, he becomes more divine and renews himself physically as well as spiritually. Knowledge of the ideal and absolute brings confidence in our existence and confers a kind of immortality, and that transcends the limitations of time and space. Yeah, it's so profound. Mm -hmm. This is feeling rather dense, but it's also covering a lot of the essence of um, universal unity and it's um, he concludes the chapter by advocating the ideal theory of nature over more popular materialism because it offers exactly the kind of view of the world that the human mind craves and intuitively wants to adopt. Emerson deals with nature's spiritual qualities and purposes in a chapter he wrote on spirit he states that a true theory of nature and man must allow progressive dynamic comprehension. The first question he raises in doing some of the, the questions that he's been asking is, what is matter? Where does it come from? And what is its purpose? The first question, what is matter, is answered by idealism. But it's also having to do with the intellectual and the physical it's not enough to say that nature does not have independent existence. The divine spirit and human perception must also form part of the equation. Emerson adds the very importance of the action of the human mind on nature. that dis distances us from the natural world, world and leaves us unable to explain our sympathy with it. He then turns to the questions of where does it come from and to what end. He refers to the universal essence as the all-encompassing. Man's capacities to uh, understand in proportion to his openness to nature's uh, relativity um, and transforming properties is you know, raising more questions. Nature affords access to the very mind of God and thus renders man the creator in the infinite or in the finite. The world is thus explained as proceeding from the divine, just as man does. So nature possesses a serenity and order that we appreciate. His closeness to God is re related to his appreciation of and sympathy with nature. Emerson closes the chapter by referring to the difficulty of reconciling the practical uses of nature as outlined in commodity with its higher spiritual meaning. So really, from what we've just shared, Emerson just had tons of insights in the mid-1900s and nuggets that we're still struggling with to understand in 2015. So it seems a lot of the knowledge ebbs and tides, and for a bit, it seems we've been lost in our hurry-up mode to get everywhere and be everything and do everything 24-7, but we're here to make a suggestion. As the mighty gem that you are, it's okay to stop and build your strength and courage and to say no to the demands on your time that aren't important to you. Take time for yourself. Take care care of yourself, get enough sleep, make time to have fun, to love and let go, love and let go, love and let go. That is the most 
important thing that we can learn in this lifetime. So you want to savor those moments. Stop and pay attention. Life unfolds if you get in the flow. A seed does not need instructions to become a tree. So savor each moment. So, And this is a habit. It's a practice. Mighty gems are about sparkling as a gem and focusing on your personal values, even if they begin as just having a perceived value. As you go about the efforts of prospecting within and on the outside for mighty gems and others, it's really about looking for the special jewels that are here for us right now. So as you ponder the importance of what we've just shared as the sparkling focus on universal unity, as we connect to ourselves, to nature, and to others with one insight, one choice, and one action, it can be really fascinating. We broaden our prospecting and we can go up and above and beyond where we have ever believed we can go and grow. So you are a mighty gem. Remember that. And know that everyone around you is also a mighty gem. Join us again next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Empowerment Channel because we're going to be talking about more mighty gems. Have a great weekend, everyone. Thank you for joining D. Lee for Mighty Gems, spotlighting everyday jewels. Be sure to come back for another great show next Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Enjoy your weekend, and we'll see you here next week.